Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner, and this is episode number 39. And uh, because it's Thanksgiving week here in the United States, uh, we thought that we would uh, have a very special episode here on the Red and White Authority. And uh, we welcome in Dr. Murray Howe, obviously the uh, son of Gordy. And uh, he has a, a book out called Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father. And uh, let's uh, welcome in uh, Dr. Murray Howe. Murray, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, um, get right to the beginning. And, you know, I'm from this era, and this is nothing against my father or all the fathers out there or anything, but I'm pretty sure that at one time every hockey fan, every hockey fan that was a kid in Detroit must have thought to themselves, man, it would be pretty cool if Gordy Howe were my dad. And... <laughs> He was your dad. I mean, if, you know, I know this is a really loaded question, but what was it like having Gordie Howe as a father? It, it was amazing. You know, I mean, if you can imagine having a superhuman uh, person as your father, that's, that's what it was like. Everything that he did was so uh, over the top, just, I mean, incredible. His, uh, his power, you know, and uh, his, his grace, just the way he carried himself. Um, anything that he would do is just, you were just, it, you're, it would be jaw-dropping the way that he would do it because he could, you know, he could literally crack open a, a lobster claw with his, with his thumb and index finger uh, when he would hit a baseball or kick a football. I mean, it would just be gone, you know, or hit a golf ball, whatever it was, and he could... You know, he could he could hit the golf ball either left or right equally as well, just like he could shoot a puck left or right. And so it was really a lot of fun. But most of all, it was awesome because he was so humble and so uh, kind and, uh, and, you know, generous. So it was just, it was wonderful to be around somebody who was so superhuman and yet saw himself as, you know, n- nobody different than anybody else. It, uh, the first book I ever got for Christmas or that I asked for was Stan Fischler's Gordie Howe Number 9. Sure. And I can remember this picture of him, and I think it might be even an iconic photo, but I think it was taken from, and I'm not a real, you know, boat person, but he was in, a, I think, a deep-sea fishing boat. He had his shirt off, and he had, you know, one of those big, you know, rods that you catch a, you know, a marlin or something with, and he just had the muscles of Popeye. I mean, it was yeah. extraordinary. You could just tell that he was just one powerful man. Yeah. Oh, he was... He was so powerful. I mean, he he was. It was scary how strong he was. I mean, there was nothing that he uh, seemingly couldn't do. Uh, you know, I asked him. There was there was kind of an urban legend of him um, lifting up a giant boulder. It was in many books, you know, about mm-hmm. him and you know that that uh, my grandfather was a very very tough man and, and short on words. He pretty much just uh, told you what to do and you just did it and. And as the as the legend went, you know, he was on a job site with my father when my father was about uh, uh, seventh or eighth grade, and because uh, my dad basically uh, left school early, and because it was no it was no fun, and he had a learning disability, and you know nobody knew what that was, so he just worked for his father on the on the road cruise, and you know his father asked him to lift this boulder, and. Uh, he, you know, he, he bet all the the, uh, the the workers that his son could lift the boulder. And my dad looked at the boulder and he said he, he wanted to just run away because he just said that's the biggest boulder he'd ever seen. And and uh, but he knew that you don't you know if, if if Ab tells you to do it, you do it. So he went over and he lifted that boulder up and he dropped it in his truck. And uh, he said he he said soon afterwards he was sure he had a hernia from from that, so he had to get a hernia surgery. But uh, I asked him about that a couple of years ago. I said, "Is that really true, Dad? Did you really have to lift a giant boulder like that?" And he turned around and he looked at a boulder that was like he put his arms out as far as he could. He said this thing was that big. He said it had to be over over three hundred pounds, and he literally lifted it up <laughs> onto. The truck so it's a true story anyway so he just was he literally was superhuman and that was that was again when he was in in eighth grade and, and you 
you look at old pictures of him from Saskatoon before he signed with the Wings, and he, when he was 12, he looked like a full-grown man. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, extraordinary. Um, uh, just to give you a, a little bit of a background, because I, I wanted to ask you a few questions about your mother as well, even though I know that this book is about your relationship with your dad. Uh, uh, when the book and how came out, I was privileged enough to actually host several book signings for your parents that were usually at some, uh, uh, like at restaurants or sports bars, and we always had dinner before, and I always sat next to Gordy, but yeah. I kept finding myself being captivated by your mother because she was such a conversationalist and she was such a trailblazer in his in her own right, and you know, she was a real Detroiter. I mean, she didn't take any guff from anybody, and uh, I would imagine that it must have been ex an extraordinary household, that how household to have, you know, the greatest hockey player ever, and a trailblazer as far as agents and, you know, being uh, for women's rights and women's causes. Yeah, mom, mom was just as amazing as dad was, just in a different way. And uh, um, she was so wonderful to have as a mother because she was so warm and caring and, and loving and, and nurturing for us. Um, and she also was so positive. You know, she, she firmly believed that if you set your mind to something, there was nothing you couldn't accomplish. And she demonstrated that time and time again, you know, herself. And so... We all grew up believing that we could, you know, make all of our dreams come true and, and, and that we could do anything that we set our mind to for others. And uh, it was a wonderful way to, to live. It was a lot of fun to be around because if you got an idea, you knew it was going <laughs> to happen. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I was, I drafted well in terms of my parents, that's for sure. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, I, I, it, uh, uh, because I, 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 I still remember you know, those days fondly. I mean, they were both just great. And uh, from that moment on, every time I saw Gordy after that, uh, you know, I know everybody says, well, he would come up and he'd give me elbows, but he would always kind of push me and put his dukes up. And then he'd smile, ask me, he'd say, how you doing, Art? And he'd shake my hand, you know, every single time. And I mean, and, you know, there, there were a lot of times that happened. So, you know, to grow up here, to have that, I mean, it just it's just extraordinary. I mean, I know we'll get onto the book, but I, I mean, I just get real emotional when I think of, uh, of your dad because, as you said, he, he was such an uh, uh, iconic figure, yet he was the humblest person you would, ever, you would ever meet. I mean, you would not know that he was Gordy Howe. <laughs> yeah, you know, Bill Gadsby, who was a you know, good the, the right. Gadsby family, are just great friends of ours, and uh, Bill was one of my dad's closest buddies, and he, he had a saying, he said, everybody in the locker room knew he was Mr. Hockey except for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's very true. Uh, when, you, um, when you look at his life and you look at his accomplishments, you know, people would always ask me what I thought about Gordy, and I would always say everybody, everybody's a friend to Gordy Howe. I mean, there was, he, that was just his personality. Um, but on the ice, he was all business, and... When you were growing up, and I know that, you know, obviously, I mean, he played for a long time and you saw him, but were there pressures on you to become a hockey player? Obviously, Mark and, and Marty and Mark's in the, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame in his own right, but what was it like for you when you, you know, your dad's a hockey player, you want to be a hockey player, but as you got older, maybe your interest kind of waned in the sport as far as being a player. You know, uh, I really, really wanted to be my father in every way, and I wanted to be a professional hockey player because I wanted to be like him. And, of course, wanted to follow my brother's footsteps as well. I looked to, up to them uh, as well. Um, and it, But the pressure didn't come from my parents, but for sure. They, they always said, do what you want, do what makes you happy. But I wanted more than anything to be a pro hockey player, and uh, and it was it was fun. I loved playing hockey, uh, you know, up until I got to be about sixteen, and and uh, so, you know the players were getting a little bit heavier and uh, bigger, and took a couple you know big hits, got knocked out one time, separated my shoulder, and uh, you know after you take a couple like that, you, you start thinking twice about, you know, maybe this is not the best career for a <laughs> five foot six hundred and forty pounder. 
but I was not one to give up either. So I, you know, was going to take this to the to the uh, as far as it was going to as it, it would it would uh, the ride would go. So I went, you know, played junior hockey up in up in Canada with uh, with Gretzky and Paul Coffey and a few yeah. other pros there, and did everything I could really to make the pro ranks and tried out at Michigan and didn't make it in my first year. And and uh, that when I got cut from Michigan, that was just the that was the uh, kind of the slap in the face that I needed to wake me up to say, wow, maybe I should think of doing something different. And my parents were just fantastic because I got back to the dorm and told them that I'd gotten cut, and they said, well, thank God we don't have to worry about you anymore. And uh, so that took, that took all the pressure off, and uh, uh, then I was able to just really pursue my, my, my talents and passions, which were in sciences, and, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get into medical school. But that pressure was all from, you know, came from within. And, of course, there would be a lot of articles coming out about, well, the next Howe coming up is Murray Howe, and which team will he play for, and, this and that, so you know, you, you kind of get that sense that you don't want to let the media down, and you don't want to you don't want to let your parents down, even though they're not, you know, directly putting the pressure on you. You you want to make them proud, and and uh, so you know, I really really wanted to be a pro hockey player for for that, but uh, I still love to play. I just you know, it's, it's nicer when you don't have to check anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it sounds like it. I mean, you, so you didn't have any. Um... I don't know, withdrawal probably isn't the proper term, but uh, you didn't think that you, when you decided after when you were at U of M and, and it wasn't going to happen for you, uh, you were cut from the squad, that you didn't think that you were letting anybody down, including your parents. I mean, you, you were able to handle it and, and move forward. I mean, obviously, look at yeah. what you've accomplished. Yeah, after, yeah, after, that, after that phone call, uh, phone conversation with my parents, I felt like all the pressure was off and I could just move forward and... I never looked back after that. I actually ended up uh, uh, six years, well, four years later, you know, I was in, in medical school. I didn't play hockey at all during that four years of undergrad. I just kind of felt like I needed to get away from it. And then uh, the medical school recruited me for the hockey docs team that was sponsored by the surgical department, Dr. Bartlett at the University of Michigan. And... Uh, and uh, and so I was so thrilled actually to get back on the ice and, and played just in the intramural league, you know, representing the the medical school, and that was that was a lot of fun. So I I was glad that that I did get back into it. When you're playing junior hockey, and as you said, you played with Gretzky and you played with uh, Paul Coffey. You know, obviously Gretzky. We we all know the relationship that your dad had with him. I mean, where did you feel? Um, at that point, I mean, were they always coming up to you asking you, them questions about your dad, or or did you feel that uh, at that point the internal, I don't know, pressure is probably just such a wrong word, but that you had to produce because you had how on your back? You know, I I really, I wanted to produce just because I just wanted to make my dad, you know, proud, mm-hmm. and I always felt, I was, I it was uncomfortable for me to have him at my games because I always felt like I was letting him down because I wasn't, I wasn't star like, you know, like my brothers really were, or, and certainly not like he was. And so I kind of felt like, well, maybe if he, <laughs> maybe if he doesn't notice cause he's signing so many autographs that I'll get through this game without him seeing me screw up, you know, out there. And, uh, uh, I, I don't, maybe a lot of kids feel like that. I'm not sure. I know that my my grandfather never saw my dad play hockey until he was in the NHL for ten years. That was the first time he saw him play. Wow! Uh, so yeah, so I, I you know I know that I know that uh, you know it's it's not everything really to have your parents there, and I'm you know I'm sure that there's many kids that just feel pressure with their parents, but it it never came from him. It really was all from just from just within. Uh, and yeah, when I skated with Gretzky, it was actually a lot of fun because. Wayne was just as much in awe of, of of my dad as everybody else was of him, and uh, so it was fun for me to be able to to answer all of Wayne's questions. You know, you always want to know what you know what's what's my dad eat for breakfast, and what's his favorite sport besides hockey, and you know what's his his you know pregame meal, and and uh, you know all that stuff. I mean, he just worshipped my dad and really wanted to emulate him in every way. Well, certainly, and I mean, you know, certainly what a, you know, when you have to pass the torch and you look at it, what better uh, 
player to pass it to from Gordy to Wayne and, uh, uh, you know, a guy who was grounded in his own right and understood exactly, uh, you know, what your father was able to do and what he was able to accomplish uh, uh, on, on the ice. I, you know, I, I've had the privilege to talk to Wayne a few times over the years and, you know, certainly uh, somehow the conversation always seems to go back to your father. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Wayne, it's, it's really on the order of worship, or of hero worship, and uh, in, in a very good way. You know, Wayne and his family have always been so respectful uh, towards my dad and towards our family, and uh, so we have, you know, a, a mutual respect there. And uh, uh, Wayne redefined the game just as much as, as, as Dad did in his, you know, in his era, and and it's great. Wayne deserves all the accolades that uh, that he's received, and and uh, nobody could put the puck in the net like 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 Wayne did. And uh, it was I because I had the privilege of playing with him. I saw how great he was, how unbelievable he was with that puck, and it was it was beautiful to see. It really was. And and uh, so so Dad, you know, he, he always said that. Uh, if uh, if one of the How boys couldn't break his records, then he was glad it was Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, moving on after uh, you know, as you were growing up, and uh, you know, I, I remember your dad as a player. Uh, you know, certainly I, I, I don't remember the the heyday Red Wing teams, those great teams of the fifties, uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, were there some moments as a player that stuck out for you about your father, about your career, that, that maybe you learned something about him or you were able to, you know, take with you the rest of your life? Because obviously when you follow a sport and when you have a, you know, a, a relative, in this case your father, playing, uh, I, there's a lot more that goes on to a hockey game than just going up and down the ice and trying to score goals. Yeah, there really wasn't any one thing that, that that Dad did that that kind of you know was something that I took home as saying, oh wow, that's you know I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that into my my game just because he did things that nobody else could do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on a, on a daily basis, and uh, his backhand shot was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. The last goal he ever scored in his career. Uh, up in Montreal, he scored a backhanded shot from almost the blue line, and it's an unbelievable goal. And one of his best pieces of advice that he ever gave to, to, to Gretzky was to use to work on his backhand. You know, so he'd score way more goals if he has if he if he strengthened his backhand as much as possible. And so Dad lived that that lesson to the fullest, and he scored a ton of amazing backhand goals. So. Uh, you know, I would try to work on my backhand, but I just, I just never had the power that he had in that, in, in his, you know, arms and in his wrists. Uh, but he was much more a physical player. I mean, if I tried to play like Dad, uh, I would, you know, I probably would have ended up in the hospital <laughs> because, <laughs> because you, it's a very physical game, and uh, you know, it helps to be 210 pounds if you're going to play a physical game for sure. Uh, and uh, and of course, Dad was all in. There was never, if, if you know, that puck was in the corner. He was coming out with it, or he was coming out with a, you know, with a piece of your hide, or both. And uh, it, you know, that's just not the kind of game that I could play. I just wasn't, you know, physical, you know, physical enough uh, presence to do that. I, I would have had to been more like Terrence Flurry to uh, to be able to pull that off. Did he ever during the years? I mean, you know, the the rivalry with the Rocket or. Uh, you know, Rocket was such an iconic figure in Canada, and lo and behold, here comes this guy who is uh, from the western provinces, from Saskatchewan, doesn't even play for a Canadian-based team, although there were only two at that time, and uh, is is about to, you know, eclipse all the Rockets' records. I mean, did they have a friendly rivalry? Did they know each other all that well? Because there always seems to be, when you look at that, uh, you know, Rocket Richard sometimes, I think it's a little bit of a, uh, a bad uh, rep uh, because it, it, that he was just some sort of crazy French Canadian guy and was real mean. But from what I've read, it seems that at least there was a mutual respect between your father and the Rocket. Well, there there always was a mutual respect. There certainly was a a, a rivalry. I mean, it was as intense a rivalry as you'll ever see in sport because at that time you just you did not fraternize with. Uh, opponent. It was it was it was a true rivalry. 
you wanted to beat them and, and you you just weren't friendly uh, to them off off the ice. Or certainly that was unusual, um, especially with Montreal. And that intensity still you know go, goes even through uh, even through today. But it's 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 less prominent, but it, it's certainly still there. There's a there's a pride and uh, and an ownership. Uh, that that uh, Montreal that, that Quebec has with its team of Montreal, right. it's a beautiful thing. It's a there's a there's just a um, this this respect and 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 love for their for their home team. That's just you just don't find it anywhere else. It's it, it's really amazing. Um, so it wasn't that you know my dad would really go out and you know, go golfing and hanging out with, with, with Maurice Richard because it just was not, that just didn't happen back then. Right, right. Uh, but, but certainly after after uh, Rocket retired, um, their friendship, you know, was sown uh, at that point because, um, you know, the pressure was off there basically and there was many events that they were together at for charities and this type of thing. So they got to be uh, very, very friendly and uh, Dad had nothing but great things to say about the Rocket, and he really respected the fact that the Rocket wanted to win as much as my dad did, and he loved that. My dad couldn't stand it if he was playing against somebody that didn't really put their whole mind, body, and soul into you know into their 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 effort. Um, I mean, he would you know if you if you gave it everything you had, he was happy. But if he felt like you were just dogging it and didn't care, that was. <laughs> That wouldn't sit well with him because he felt you had a responsibility. He felt his opponents had a responsibility to give him everything that they had, give the fans everything they had. So he expected that, and and he and he respected it. Yeah, I'm not going to try to turn into a you know a big uh, slappy fan here, uh, uh, Murray. But uh, uh, one thing I do remember because I watched Hockey Night in Canada religiously, and I don't know what kind of relationship that they had was Jean Bolivo, and I think your dad did commercials for Scotia Bank or something. And I used to see them do something together on TV. You know, the memory's kind of vivid, or it's a vivid memory, but I can't exactly remember the particulars if that makes any sense at all. And uh, uh, I, I was kind of curious because there seemed to be, you know, and obviously, as you said, he had a great relationship with uh, with, with with Bill Gatsby, uh, another tremendous person in his own right. But uh, did did he have like a, a thing with Bellavo too, or is it because he was Gordy, he had a thing with everybody? Yes, I I think that once uh, once a, a player was retired, or so that he was no longer really you know, directly a opponent, or even if he was somebody who played, if he was dad's teammate, the dad got to know him well, and then then the guy went to another team. You know, there would, once once those seeds of friendship were, were, were sown, they were, they were, they were, you know, lifelong. And Bellavo and dad also did many, many charity events together, and uh, so they got to know each other very well. And uh, yeah, dad had, dad had uh, a great respect for him, and, uh, and, and a great friendship. For sure. Right. I when you look at uh, like everything and that that your father accomplished on and off the ice, um, there's um, one thing that you know through through reading uh, about the book and some interviews that you've done prior to uh, you know being here on the Red and White Authority uh, was the uh, the relationship that that Gordy or that your father had with his mother, and it seemed to be just. Uh, uh, you know, if it wasn't for, for for your grandmother, Gordy may never have been what he turned out to be. No, no doubt. I mean, Gordy Gordy Howe, the humanitarian, is really uh, is really a mirror image of of my grandmother, uh, Katie. She was just the most strong, like internally strong and beautiful uh, and generous uh, people that you could ever meet. She would do anything for anybody, and she dedicated her entire life to just serving everybody and making life better for everybody. And she was so nurturing and loving for my father that, that she gave him exactly what he needed to, you know, bring, uh, uh, to, to become what, uh, you know, the good Lord wanted him to, to become. And so uh, I'm so thankful that uh, 
my dad had that person to be able to be there for him and to, to make him into such an amazing humanitarian. We always look at, you know, the, the big joke, obviously, here in Detroit is that, you know, our good neighbors to the south of us in Canada, because Windsor is, is south of Detroit, uh, that we look at Canada and, you know, we almost think Ontario a lot, you know, that, that, but your father grew up in Saskatchewan, and, and I want to relate a story to you. The last time I ever interviewed him on the radio uh, was uh, at Joe Louis Arena. And after the, it had concluded, we were just sitting there at, at the table that we were at, and I looked over to him, and as I said, I had gotten to know him fairly well during this, the, with the Ann Howe book, and uh, he, he didn't look sad, he looked reflective. And I said, hey, Gordy, I go, how you doing? And he said, I miss it. And I looked at him, I said, you miss hockey? You miss playing for the Red Wings? And he told me, no, I miss Saskatchewan. I, I miss playing hockey with my family and friends out on the pond. And I thought, wow, that's, I don't know, to me it really, really touched me. So even though he, you know, he was so ingrained in Detroit, his whole family, his wife and his children, everybody were, you know, all Detroiters basically, but that Saskatchewan just never seemed to leave him, I would imagine. I mean, he had such a, uh, a strong bond and tie, and obviously maybe it emanated from your mother, but there was just something about Saskatchewan that he was never, ever going to forget. No doubt. I mean, that was clearly his biggest regret, I think, in life, was that he didn't maintain stronger uh, bonds with, with, uh, uh, with Saskatoon. And so much of that was just situational at the time. He pretty much the the, the, the club owned you, uh, you know, back in the day, and you for nine nine months out of the year certainly uh, you pretty much went wherever the Red Wings told you to go, and right. you really didn't have you know much time off. And then um, he just had a summer job to make ends meet, so he'd be doing appearances pretty much on the road. So that'd be the only time you could get to Saskatoon would be as a part of doing a, a nationwide, you know, promotion for Eaton's or something like that. And uh, he, they didn't have a whole lot of extra money, so it wasn't like he could just, you know, buy a plane ticket and fly home. Um, and they were raising four kids at the time, and we, of course, had all of our different, you know, activities going on. And so there was a lot of reasons that went into it, but it, regardless of that, I think Dad always always, you know, missed his, uh, his his home and his family and especially his mom. And uh, uh, that was clearly one of his biggest regrets. And that's why I brought him back to Saskatoon in 2011 to really just, just reconnect with his roots, reconnect with his sisters that were still there and his, his uh, 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 remaining cousins and other nephews and nieces and, and all the Howe clan. And it was just fantastic. I think it really just put his mind at ease just to go back there and just to not have any appearances scheduled, just go back there and just spend time with family. And, and uh, it, it, you know, it was, uh, I think, very cathartic for him. How, how was it for you? I mean, how many times during your lifetime up until 2011 had you actually been in, in Saskatoon yourself? Only the one time, only when I was 10 years old after my grandmother passed away. We went back there for the funeral, and uh, and that was it. So uh, I was I was really really pining to see uh, all these places that Dad talked about all the time, and where he went to school, and where he lived, and where he played hockey, and um, uh, and to meet all my relatives or see them again that I had only known as a little kid. So I was really really excited to do it. When you did it, and you know, and I, I don't want to sound corny here, but did you have an instant connection? Did you know that even though you had only been there one other time in your life, that this was a part of you as well? Without a doubt. The second I was there, I felt like I was home. And, and that's just, everyone there just adores Dad so much, and they feel that, you know, he's theirs. And uh, so I instantly felt very, very welcome. And uh, it's amazing how it works out because my son, Corey, fell in love with a girl from Saskatoon, so he's living there now. And wow. It's so exciting to have 
our family back there on a more permanent basis. It's just amazing how that works out. Yeah, I know when you were back there, you and your dad decided to go hiking, and uh, he took a little bit of a tumble, and I believe he was 80 at the time, and uh, you thought that perhaps uh, he may not want to go fishing the next day because he was a little bit cut up, and uh, that just wasn't Gordy Howe. I mean, he, he was that extraordinary, even at 80 years old. He might have taken a little bit of a tumble, uh, where most people would have been, you know, dead in their tracks, and no, no pun intended there, but uh, he just kind of got up and continued living. He did. I mean, it was it was uh, phenomenal, again, to see what a physical specimen he was, and I don't know many people, certainly people of any age, let alone someone in their, in their 80s, could take a fall like that, and then... Get, get back up, climb up a hill, like literally climb up a vertical, you know, hill, and uh, hike all the way back to the cabin, get bandaged up, and then be ready for a fight, and be first on the boat the next day to go fishing again with just full bandages all over his arms. I mean, he was, he was, he ignored his own wounds. That just... He, he refused to acknowledge them or let them get in the way of something that he felt he needed to do or wanted to do. Yeah, that that is that's pretty that's pretty wild. That's uh, that is such a you know such a great story, really, about just the you know the will and desire and determination that that he really had. Um, when you um, decided to write this book, and when Gordy became ill, um, I know that. Uh, uh, there was one point when I was working for Fox Sports Detroit where they said, you know, Gordy's really ill. Um, you should have a remembrance piece together, which was really odd to write, you know, when someone is alive. And thankfully, uh, uh, Gordy lived much longer than they anticipated than when Fox told me to, you know, to write this thing. And I wanted to ask you about the stem cells and stem cells research. And the reason I do is because Nick Cromwell, who has had some very difficult times with his knee, current Red Wing defenseman, actually had some stem cell research, or stem cell, not research, stem cells uh, implanted in, in him and, and went through that process, and it helped him out tremendously. Um, you're a doctor. Were, was, were you the one who initiated that whole process? How did that begin? Because I, I know that, uh, that your dad had to fly, I believe, to Mexico in order to get the procedure done. Sure. So, and I'm going to preface everything I'm going to say now just by saying that that there's stem cell treatment is a broad it's a it, it's a broad variety of different things. It, it depends on what body part you're treating, what type of disease process you're treating, and there's a lot of clinical research that really needs to be done to be able to document that stem cell treatment for neurologic diseases, for strokes, for dementias, uh, for traumatic brain injury, that, that that type of treatment is safe and that it's effective over a broad range, uh, a broad population. So you can have, you can have great results in anecdotal cases that, 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 are, that are fantastic to know about, but it doesn't prove anything is, you know, that that's something that we should all do. So it's really important to do the research and then be able to say, yes, it's safe, it's effective, um, and then get the, 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 the stem cells to a point where they're available for everybody, where they're inexpensive, and they can, you know, make a true difference in the quality of life for a broad population. So that's, that's, the, end, that's the end game. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of injecting stem cells into joints, that's something that's currently available and, and, and legal in the United States, and it's, 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 it's done in, in most major cities now. And how that's performed is um, the stem cells are, are the patient's own cells. They're withdrawn from um, their, their bone marrow, usually from their, their uh, the, the bony pelvis area, their iliac crest area. Mm -hmm. And uh, those cells are spun down and, and, uh, and prepared properly and then injected directly into your joint. And we know 
that for uh, for knees, for patients that have osteoarthritis in their knees, that uh, they they uh, have excellent results uh, doing that approach. We we do that type of stem cell treatment in our hospital uh, system here at uh, Sports Care uh, within the ProMedica system that I work for. Dr. Roger Cruz heads up uh, our regenerative medicine program and does a great job with that. It's wonderful success. So that's something that's that's very encouraging. It's great. What Dad had was 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 quite a bit different than that type of uh, treatment. Um, Dad had a major stroke and couldn't move the the right. He could hardly move the right side of his body. He barely he barely had any any movement uh, uh, sensation um, uh, or you know or uh, 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 feeling really in the in that right hand side. Uh, could barely talk. Uh, I mean, he wasn't even strong enough to be able to, to eat. Wow. And uh, he had been basically referred to hospice. He was that far down the you know, down the road, and we just assumed that that was, you know, that was it. He would probably have a couple weeks to live, and that would be it. And then we got a random phone call from a stem cell technology company out in California that manufactures and develops stem cells. So they're they're an American company that's you know researching um, the the use of stem cells for a variety of you know broad variety of uh, of diseases. And they were big hockey fans. The people who ran the company, and the, the one who contacted me, Dave McGugan, uh, he used to work with the Red Wings and uh, um, knew my parents and had a ton of respect for them and said. You know, we love your dad, and we would really, we think that we could help him with the stem cell technology that we have. So if you could get him out here, we really think that we could, you know, we, we could help him, and we'd love to offer that to you. So we weren't looking for anything as a family. We just, this was just a, a random, um, you know, uh, uh, phone call. And so I asked him to show me some more information. So I read it over, and I determined that really for dad, we just didn't have anything to lose. I mean, he was pretty much on death's door, and uh, they, they weren't going to charge us anything because he was Gordy Howe, and, and uh, so I enlisted my brother, and my, my, you know, my dad basically, you know, just said he would, you know, he would do it, he would try it if, if, if that's, you know, what we suggested, and so, yeah, we said, let's, you know, as I say, we, we really wanted, we just, he was so far gone that we hated to see him go out the way that he was, he was just... Mm-hmm pretty much wasting away in a bed, and it was just horrible to see him in that way. And uh, so anyway, we got him on an airplane, and we were able to get him out there, and uh, uh, to make a long story short, he had a phenomenal response and was back up on his feet eight hours after the treatment, and we were just flabbergasted. And and, uh, uh, three days later, we uh, brought him back to Texas, where he he was uh, staying with my sister at the time, and he, you know, walked out of his wheelchair, walked and hugged my sister, and she just, you know, just about lost it. Oh, yeah. And each day he just got stronger and stronger, and and for the next year and a half, we just had so many amazing uh, memories with him because he, you know, because they got him back on his feet. So uh, he was able to dance with my daughter at her wedding. He was able to go up to Saskatoon and, and, and experience the, the Gordie Howe tribute. Um, where uh, Gretzky and, and Bobby Hull and Brett Hull and Dennis Hull were up there on the stage, um, you know, just pouring out their hearts and how much he meant to them. And my brothers were there, and, and 2,000 of his most adoring fans up in Saskatoon. So that was an incredible memory. And uh, I was able to, to pay tribute to him at a talk that I gave in Troy, Michigan. And he was able to know about the you know the bridge being named after him and and uh, understand the significance of that. So that was another beautiful part of that year. And then he spent that last year living with my wife and I in in, uh, in Ohio, and uh, that was just a phenomenal year. Basically, spent the year just doing a a victory lap, and he would just go to you know walk around the local hockey rink and muck around with the little kids and get pictures and sign autographs for them and. It was it was just so phenomenal to be able to still have that time with him and allow people to be able to really tell him how much they meant to him and uh, for him to just just experience all of that. So he 
that last year just allowed him to bow out gracefully and with no regrets, and we're so thankful for that. Right, you know, I mean, it's a tremendous story because, and I'm glad you cleared it up, and and I'm glad you really wanted to, you know, you shared that with us because, I guess I am under the impression, and this could be from my own ignorance of what you know from what we've heard about stem cells, but it, it seems that if Gordy Howe had stem cell treatment or went through that, that it must be good or it must be okay. I mean, I, it it seemed to elevate it into the public's eye and not portray it as sometimes it's portrayed in a negative light. Am I, am I, am I way off base on that, or do you, do you agree with that? Because it seemed to, to take it uh, um, a notch up as far as in people's eyes. Well, I think if, if nothing else, I think, I think that Dad's um, you know, whole story and response, that it basically um, brought to light that, wow, stem cell technology is something that you know, we'll need to take a look at and really, I think, I, I think, um, focus on as one of the potential game changers in, in medicine going forward. But just like anything, that you know, just because you, you, you suspect something's good doesn't mean you start to use it on everybody. It means that you do the research and you, uh, and you, and you make it, you know, you do what needs to be done to know is it, is it, is it the real deal or not? And, uh, so that's I think I think Dad just brought the question more to the forefront of you know is this something that we should be looking into yes or no and like you know I would say that I would say that it certainly his response was was an indication that this is something that we should we should be doing some research on and uh, and so you know hopefully that'll be happening and I I, I think that it is when um, when your father passes away and you give the eulogy. Uh, the toughest thing you ever had to write was it difficult to give, or were you just you know obviously overcome with emotion? I mean, my father's been gone for seventeen years now, and you know a day doesn't go by when I don't think of him. So I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what is going through Dr. Murray Howe's mind when Gordy passes away and you're about to go up there and address not only the people in that church but people from all over the world. My goal in going up there was just to honor my father in the in the best way that I could. I felt like I knew him as as well as anybody on the planet, and I felt like I could communicate to the world what he stood for and what he would want me to say. He knew that I was going to give the the, the eulogy. Our, our our family had talked about it when long before he was ready to pass away. And so I actually asked him, what would you like me to say <laughs> at your, you know, at your funeral? And, uh, and that was the last thing I said in the eulogy. He said, say this. At last, the final, the final period. And, uh, and then he, you know, and then he just added, he said, I hope they have a, 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 a good hockey team in heaven. And, and then I told him, I said, with you there, Dad, you know, they'll be great. And uh, so, wow. it, yeah, so he knew, he he was very excited. He was totally at peace knowing that I was going to give his eulogy because he knew how much I loved him, how much I adored him. And uh, he knew how well I knew him and that I could, that I would do, that I would focus on the things that were important to him, which was his humanitarian side, his love for people, his love for hockey. Uh, you know, focus on that much more than the, the, the athletic accomplishments that he that he achieved. He never he never paid any attention to those things. Um, he was just all about people, and uh, I, it would have taken a team of horses to keep me from talking about my father at at, at the funeral because I just I I admired him so much and I really wanted to to share him with the world. Well, you know, I know you've heard this, and you know, I, I thought that you, I thought it was just an, an outstanding uh, tribute that you paid to your father um, during that eulogy. And uh, a couple months later, it's Father's Day, 2016. You wake up first Father's Day without your father, and you know you're you know in a 
reflective, a very intelligent young man, and you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking about your dad, and at that moment, because you missed him so much, is that when you decided to to write the book? Is it, it was that the the catalyst for doing it? Was Father's Day 2016? That's exactly what it was. Yeah, I woke up on Father's Day, and I just I missed him so much, and I always made a big deal about Father's Day. I always tried to make it special for him and do something that he, uh, you know, really loved to do. We'd go fishing or golfing or go for a hike or something. And and uh, I would, you know, I just took it uh, the opportunity to let him know how much he meant to me. And the fact that I couldn't do that and the fact that, that I couldn't hug him really or hold him, I just, it was just, a, it was just killing me. And I said, wow, what, you know, what could I do? still do? What could I, how could I honor him even though he's, he's no longer with us in body? And I said, wow, what would be better than to just get down on paper what he, everything he stood for and, and what he meant to me as a father and as a man and just kind of expand on that eulogy a little bit more and uh, really just give people a full picture of, of who he was in my, from my perspective. Um. It's called, the book is called Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father. And I'm not trying to be a jerk here, Murray, but, you know, originally your father's number was number 17 for the Red Wings. Would it have been called 17 Lessons I Learned from My Father? Or was it just it worked out there were nine lessons because, of course, he's the legendary number nine? Well, nine was always a special number in, in, in our family because of my father. And so there was no doubt that... that <laughs> that the book would have the number nine in it for sure. I mean, there's probably 999 lessons in there if you really drill down, but, uh, but uh, we, we wanted to categorize it into, into uh, nine specific chapters. When you have nine chapters, and yeah, you know, I I don't want to go through like I guess all nine of them. I want people to read this book because it's a tremendous read. But what stands out? What did, what would what were you really trying to accomplish? What do you want? Not only Red Wing fans or Detroiters or Michiganders or or whatever. What do you want people to walk away from this book? What do you want them to think about what about Gordy Howe the man? What was Gordy Howe? Sure. When you when you boil down the nine lessons, I think what it comes down to is that Dad's greatness was was not because of his incredible athletic achievement. It really was because of how much he gave of himself to others, uh, how much he uh, uh, cared about other people, and that's what really set him apart from almost anybody else that, that I know. And the neat thing about that is that that's something that we can all aspire to, that regardless of what our talents are, our treasures, that in giving the most of ourselves, that we can all make a huge impact on others just by, just by how much we, we give of ourselves. And he... Because of who he was, and it sounds, he could have been any way he wanted to be, but he chose to be, as you said, this kind, gentle, humanitarian who really, when you walked away, I don't think you really remember him for the great hockey player he was, you just remember him for the great man that he actually was. With, without a doubt, and that's all that he... That he, that he cared about is he wanted to make a moment for every person that he ran into, that, that he wanted to make that moment special and that, uh, that he wanted to make an impact on them, a positive impact. And, and, and I think he accomplished that. And that's, again, something that I think we're all uh, capable of, you know, of doing by just giving, by just giving of ourselves in that, in that way living in the moment and being present for whoever it is that we're with at, at that time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to share another story with you, you know, because it's, 
it, it sounds odd, I know, but you, you've heard this before. Your father had an impact on so many people, and especially if you're a hockey fan, lifelong hockey fan like I am, and, you know, Gordy was, is obviously, you know, number one Red Wing of all time. Uh, when Frank Mahovlich was traded, which ended up bringing Mickey Redman to, uh, to Detroit, I was devastated. I mean, I don't know if it was like the third incarnation of the production line, but, you know, your dad and uh, uh, the Big M and Alex Del Vecchio, uh, you know, I just loved watching them play, and I was really distraught. And back then, it was before, you know, videotape and all that kind of stuff, old film. And uh, I remember I was just so upset. It was in January when, when Frank Mahavlich was traded. And I don't know if the Red Wings were going on a road trip, but obviously it was the days where they had to film them. And bring it back to the to the television station, develop the film, and then show it for the eleven o'clock news. So I'm sitting there, and I'm all worked up about Frank being traded. And and you know they talk about the trade on the sports, and then they go to your dad. And you know, and I've told this story many times on the radio, and I've told it a couple of times even on the on the Red and White Authority, our podcast here. But your father said, whenever a player's traded, I say goodbye to an old friend and hello to a new friend, and. Murray, God is my witness, not to be melodramatic here, that just amazing, I'm like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old boy back then, and it just calmed me down. I mean, if Gordy is cool with it, I was cool with it, you know, because I was not cool with it, but yeah. your, your dad made me cool with it. <laughs> that's great, that's a, yeah, and that's a great story, and that really, really highlights the kind of person that he that he was, he always looked for the positive, any he saw the beauty in every human being. He could he could find your finest points and uh, and, and and draw them out of you. And he he never uh, worried about things that he couldn't change. He never held grudges. Uh, never looked back. And it was great. So yeah, by all means. Uh, and and he said he believed every word that he'd say. You know, he wasn't just lip service. And so that was. You don't survive for 32 years in the NHL by getting worked up about stuff and 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 uh, um, holding grudges and and grumbling. You know, you 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 just keep soldiering on and you keep making the best of of the situation that that's in front of you. And it's just sheer class. I mean, he was. I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. He just was so. He was so classy. It was amazing. No, he really, truly. I mean, you know, certainly uh, one of those uh, one of those real special people that God created to uh, on this earth, and that uh, and you know, we're you know, again, we're all better for it. I mean, you know, having Gordy Howe, especially here in the Detroit area, you know, the you know, wearing the red and white, the old winged wheel. I mean, it. Uh, uh, you know, Detroit get, takes a lot of guff and stuff, but. Uh, you can always come back and say, "Yeah, well, Detroit might have its problems, but we, you know, but we had Gordy Howe, you know." I mean, and that, <laughs> so so there you go. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, yeah. I, um, I I want to wrap this up, uh, and I, you've you've been so gracious with your time, uh, uh, Murray. I really I, I really do appreciate it. But he was a physical specimen, as you said. But was he the greatest hockey player of all time because of the inner desire to be great? And was he competitive? What made him tick on the ice? Have you ever been able to define that? Because he was just so much better. I mean, I, I think even Wayne would say this. I mean, maybe offensively you tip your cap to Wayne or something. But as far as a complete hockey player, I don't think anybody's even close to your father. I think what set him apart, both on the ice as well as off the ice, was his feeling of paying it forward, his, his feeling of responsibility to do the absolute best, to give his absolute best in everything that he did. So if you saw him make a bet, you would know that Gordie Howe made that bet. I mean, you could bounce a quarter off it, no problem. Everything he did... Was was like that. If he was boxing up a a box to mail out, that thing would be bomb proof. I mean, you could you just you good luck <laughs> opening it again. So that's how he conducted himself on the ice. It was his training. He would be the first person out on the ice during practice, the last person to leave. 
he would constantly be studying the other players to see what they're doing, what's successful for them, what's not. Uh, he would be passing on everything he could to the rookies, trying to make them as good as possible, which would then in turn help him because he knew he was going to be playing with these guys. So the more he helped them, the more that would help him and help his team. So he truly gave every bit of his his uh, body and soul and mind to every game. And not just during that game, but before and after. So you, he couldn't help but be incredibly successful in whatever endeavor, any sports that he ever played because he just felt it was his absolute duty to do so. He, when he stepped on the ice, and this was something that he had mentioned to Wayne several times, he said, you know, every night when, the, when, you, when you step out on that ice, those fans have paid to come out and, and watch you, um, you know, play. And so give them everything you have. And so he felt he felt that truly was his responsibility. Well, and he, you know, no one did it better than uh, than, than Gordy Howe. Uh, the name of the book is Nine Lessons I Learned from My Father" by uh, Dr. Murray Howe. Uh, I, I would imagine this book has to be doing very, very well. A lot of book signings. Uh, uh, should people just? Uh, keep, you know, the old, you know, I, heck, I don't even know what people look at anymore today. I mean, the radio or the, the, maybe the newspaper or, or online, uh, do you do a lot of book si- signings or are you so busy uh, with your career as, as a medical professional, as a doctor, that uh, uh, this is more of a word of mouth uh, type of uh, uh, book? Well, Nine Lessons is now uh, uh, number three on the bestseller list in Canada. So it's, uh, it, 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 it's selling well. It's being very well received, and and I'm thrilled about that because I just feel like it's keeping Dad's uh, spirit going and and helping spread uh, the kindness and uh, and goodness that he was uh, to people across the world. So I'm really thrilled for that. Uh, I've been doing uh, lots of signings, and I'm going to continue to do uh, several several signings and appearances. I actually. Uh, uh, I'm uh, talking with the Red Wings right now about uh, doing a signing on December 15th. We're waiting to confirm that. Uh, I've got uh, signings in Saskatoon at the, on December 3rd and Vancouver uh, December uh, 9th and uh, Victoria December 8th. Uh, and uh, um, those are the, the and, uh, up in Traverse City on, um, boy, oh boy, November 20th. I believe. Anyway, I do have a, uh, the website for Penguin. Um, if you just Google Murray Howe Penguin, you can you can find it. And uh, um, I, for the so the nine lessons I learned from my father under the Penguin website, there's a on tour link, so you can see some of the places that I'm signing. I'd love to meet as many fans as possible. And but you, most of the bookstores either have the book. I know a lot have sold out, so that's there. People are having difficulty, I think, in finding. Uh, the book, but you can always get it through Amazon if your local bookstore is is out. Uh, and uh, um, so anyway, and hopefully, I would love to meet as many fans as possible and sign as many books as possible. That's my goal, uh, just as my parents did, is to is to meet as many fans as I can. So uh, I hope that uh, that I I can I can see everybody who wants to see me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there there are many uh, many. Uh, uh... Uh, fans that want to, uh, you know, certainly, uh, yeah, I, I guess this is more, I'm, I'm just curious by nature. Was the book originally published in Canada? Uh, and did you have to get an American publisher or is Penguin Canada and Penguin, I guess, United States, do they publish it jointly or? I wish I could tell you exactly how that works. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually busy just reading the MRIs and CAT scans, so I, I don't look at those kinds of details. Uh, but uh, my understanding is that Penguin of Canada has some, has some type of uh, whatever arrangement with uh, Penguin of U.S., and so there's a U.S., I believe, distributor or, or whatever. So I, I do know that it's available at all the, the U.S. bookstores or it's, it, it, it's it's supposed to be, as I said, it's been it's been sold out at, at, at so many. I, I know around us in Toledo that it is, it's, the, the bookstores have been sold out, and and uh, hopefully they'll be able to restock. But uh, uh, that's a good thing. That's a good problem to have, I guess. And, and 
but I, I do know if, if nothing else, you can get it through Amazon if, if no one else has it. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, that, that seems to be the right thing, too. I mean, after all, it's the, you know, between, you know, your mother, Colleen, and your father, Gordy, Canadian and American, a merger, maybe that's the way this book should have, uh, should have, put, it's been properly published then, I guess, if that. Uh, I uh, think so. Yes. I, if all the, all the uh, respect in the world for Penguin, uh, they've just done a wonderful job in helping me to uh, promote the book. I've, I, I've done uh, over 150 interviews and quite a few in uh, Toronto and uh, Detroit and Toledo, and I'll continue to do so. And just to, just to spread, you know, Dad's, uh, Dad's kindness, and, and that, that's kind of what it's all about. And and uh, so, yeah, Penguin's been very supportive that way. I'm very thankful for that. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough, Murray, for doing this, especially you know on the Red and White Authority, be on the Red Wing website, and you know, Red Wing fans. Uh, you know, this reaches Red Wing fans all over the world, and I'm sure that they're going to just enjoy hearing you uh, reflect and talk about uh, the greatest hockey player that ever lived, and he happened to be your father, Gordie Howe. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Our wonderful to talk with you.